Good morning, good evening, hello, how are you? Um, it is Friday the 27th of January, um, one more day in February, left to go. It's uh, Kevin Garber and James Peter, co-founders of Manage Flitter, coming to you with episode number 56 of the It's a Monkey podcast. If you missed last week's episode, we interviewed Nir Ayal, who um, spoke about his book Hooked, f- um, how to form product habit form how to create habit form in products really interesting interview um, you can always go back to previous interviews at the it's a monkey.com and um, we've got tons of interesting interviews we try to find interesting people to interview so if you're on a long journey or you're doing some work and you want something to listen to um, go back and listen to some of the previous interviews um, and uh, you might find them interesting later on in the show we have an interview with juan pablo vasquez sampera um, he wrote an article in Harvard's Business Review on we shouldn't be dazzled by Apple's earnings report. A couple of podcasts ago, we spoke about Apple's amazing um, revenue numbers, which have just, uh, you know, um, all-time high across, uh, you know, some of the top corporate earnings of all times. And he's got an interesting view, and he's a little bit, um, you know, painting a little bit of caution about, uh, you know, these earnings. So I chatted to him um, live from Spain um, last week, and we'll be playing that interview a little bit later on in the show. Um, as usual, we have some news coming up, and uh, we'll be talking about the latest in, in uh, tech. Um, so, um, yeah, we've got a great show lined up, as always. Um, very special show, as um, James is, James is, is uh, you know, uh, some special announcements, I guess. Uh, James is heading off to start his own startup. So James and I started Manage Flutter 2010. We were even working together before that on CheckDog and a few other bits and pieces. So I'm sure we'll have James on the podcast here and there. So I don't think it's the end of the podcast. Um, I hope I'll be back. (laughs) So James will be around. But uh, in his capacity as co-founder and CTO of Manage Flutter, this is probably the last podcast, James. Well, it is the last podcast. It's the last podcast, yeah. Yeah, it's, It's been a... It's been a long, good ride, but uh, yeah, no. Every every little bird has to leave the nest at some stage. So <laughs> cycles of life, beginnings yeah. and endings, this is, and uh, this is my 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 next step. So new beginnings for you. Any idea of? I mean, I mean, I'm sure we'll stay in touch with you on the podcast, and hopefully, uh, we'll be seeing your products names in lights. Um, any concrete ideas that you can talk about? What you're going to be working on? Um, I've got a few things. I've got one that I've been working on, a sort of a side project that I'm going to sort of focus on, um, which is called Charge Desk, um, which sort of helps with billing support. So it's not, nothing very relevant to sort of <laughs> manage letters audience, but uh, uh, something something quite different. And uh, just working on some other financial uh, sort of projects as well. I'm going to start a new one, hopefully in the next couple of months, um, depending on how things go. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, no, it's going to be interesting. Interesting times, new beginnings. New beginnings and, um, yeah, it's uh, new beginnings for us. We, you know, we go, James is a core member of the team and it's going to be sorely missed. And, um, w- you know, we've got um, some new members of the Manage Flitter team. So um, we've got interesting things planned for Manage Flitter. But um, I'm sure if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you will, um, you know, be very familiar with James and uh, his, his gentle wisdom. And uh, he's definitely going to be missed around uh around us we've been been working together for nearly seven years which in our industry is uh you know a long time (laughs) it's a long it's been a good time it's a good time i'm looking forward to seeing what you guys do there's some lots of exciting stuff in the works and you've got some new fresh blood in here too it's gonna 
um, bring some life into things. So no, I think it's I think it's gonna be really good to see what happens and over the next couple of months. So hopefully we'll both do <laughs> amazing yeah, things. I, I'm sure we'll have uh, exciting things to tell. Yeah. So that's enough about you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's let's talk about some of the news. Tinder. We don't we don't often talk about Tinder. We talk a lot about Facebook, Twitter, Apple, Google, Instagram. Tinder, um, you know, came onto the scene a couple of years ago. It's one of these dating apps, mobile only dating app, um, where you can, you know, essentially match. Um, you go through photos, and uh, if you if you if there's someone you like, you click on like, and if they click on like too. And boom, you've got a match. Now, they were part of a, a bigger company, um, and they're sort of a startup within a startup, and they've uh, their traffic's done amazingly well. They had a bit of controversy last year with some some co-founder issues, etc. But um, they're finally launching a paid version. Now, I was, I was quite interested to see how they're going to do this because I was interested to see if they were going to take the advertising model because they've obviously got quite solid engagement of people logging on every day and swiping left or swiping right. So I was wondering if they were going to take, and they got quite an engaged, they got quite a captive um, audience of people looking at other people's photos. So to sort of interleave an ad, you know, every five people um, would be a relatively powerful, you know, be quite a compelling offer to a to an advertiser. But interestingly, they haven't taken the advertising approach. Mm. They've taken the freemium approach and even though it's not official in the States yet, um, apparently the, fr- the paid version is only launching in March. Um, a friend of mine showed me um, the paid version of Tinder um, in Australia, which has launched, which is quite interesting. They're probably, they're probably testing it out here. Mm. Um, so they've taken quite an interesting approach, which firstly, it's quite expensive. Apparently, it's around 30 bucks a month, which is, which is pretty yeah. pricey. Well, I think they've been, um, I think it's set at about... Um, it's been reported it's going to be about thirty, uh, sorry, seven dollars a month or six ninety nine, but they've been testing a whole range of prices. So I think it's been from as low as like a dollar all the way up to like thirty dollars. I think thirty dollars so is the high end of the, the price range they've been testing. So you think my my friend got got nailed on one Just of the got tests? Unlucky. Lucky, got, yeah. got, got unlucky. Because I did I did say well, I think wow that is uh, that's expensive, like mm. especially for an app for that's sure, sort yeah. of aimed at younger people. And but I do actually see like Tinder posts up on uh, Reddit. Actually, it was quite interesting. There's actually quite a community of people who sort of share conversations they've had on Tinder and people's profiles. Like, you know, there's obviously a bit of interesting, you know, dynamics that happens there because it's kind of this sort of organic dating type thing. And, you know, you obviously have interesting conversations come out of it. Um, and as part of that community, people post, you know, when, when Tinder does come up with this blocking app saying, you know, you, you have no more likes for today. You have to upgrade. Um, and then you kind of see like every person has their different pricing because they everybody's oh, posting right. in frustration. They've all got like somebody's got like a dollar, somebody's got like $30. And so people have kind of been comparing it. So it's it's they're definitely testing different prices at this stage. What I found interesting is their approach they took, what they're actually unlocking. So they're unlocking the number of likes per day. So mm-hmm. you max out on a number of likes. So that's obviously quite compelling where people are just, you know, they're at a train or whatever and they're just swiping, swiping, swiping. They hit up against that limit. The other thing um, which is really interesting, two other elements which are more interesting, I mean, that likes is a bit of an obvious one. they got an undo button of sorts. So apparently a lot of people swipe like or unlike mm-hmm. by accident because they get into this. So if you've paid, you can actually undo it, which mm-hmm. is quite. And so if you've like missed someone, 
yeah, that you wanted to like and by accident you unlike because you were unliking someone before, you can undo that. That's pretty powerful. And then the third, which is really interesting, is you can you can swipe across different geographies. Mm. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah so, Isn't you know... It's odds. Um, well, look, I mean, technically, the, its history is a, a quote-unquote hookup app, mm. okay? So you have people traveling... I mean, the cultures... All right, so theoretically, if you're going to travel to a different location... And you want to meet someone. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, and you want to meet someone. And um, apparently, it does note where you're swiping from now or mm. if you're premium or something. Okay. So yeah, that's interesting. Quite quite an innovative approach. I'm, I am, particularly, you know, they're a big part of a big media company that, um, you know, is very familiar with ads and et cetera. It's quite interesting that they never went the ad route. For sure, yeah. I mean, actually, on, on, so on Reddit, on the Tinder community, you actually see... There's obviously lots of people that are starting to use Tinder in interesting ways. There are people who are like, you know, burritos and they're like, they're, their profile is a burrito. And if you match with them, they'll act as if they're a burrito Interesting. And stuff. So there are people have these conversations. Um, and there's obviously room for brands to do that too, in some respect. Like you can kind of imagine a brand somehow having these organic conversations with people that kind of connect. Like, you know, if somebody's like, you know, a McDonald's cheeseburger or something like, you know, Bad example, okay, like a, a car well, or something, like, you know, and they're like, you know, they play off the, you know, thing like sexual innuendo or whatever, but it's a way for brands to kind of connect directly with consumers in ways they, they wouldn't um, really be able to in any other way. Um, I mean, it's interesting you say that because I, you know, when I heard one of the Tinder co-founders in one of the conferences that I, you know, always watch online, and he said that, um, you know, this is their bigger vision, um is cr- to create a platform for yet yeah, t- uh, you know tinder t- tinder type matching mm. along uh, across a whole different type of use cases yeah for sure yeah no it is weird that they didn't go down that route first because that seems like it would be far more profitable in the long run but i mean my my actual my guess that the reason why they're doing this is probably to solve some core problems of tinder it, that um that i think are that people um, just swipe right on everything in some cases, particularly mm. bots. Like they've got this huge issue, you know, mm. bots um, um, coming up and dominating streams. So I think, you know, by putting the paywall there, it's kind of the only way they can kind of solve this problem and enforce, um, you know, increase the um, the value of a like, right? So you, you basically have to be more selective about it. And so if people are not being selective enough about who they match with, then it kind of diminishes the whole value of the system. So... People just sort of liking everything, and if there's a match, then they'll sort of select from there or something exactly, like that. Exactly, yeah. Like yeah. That's that's kind of where the system's deteriorating to. Um, so, um, you know, there's you hear of people building like Tinder bots or whatever that just continually swipe right, and mm. you know, and and then you know, it's like a volume play type thing, which is not, you know, it's obviously not the not not the what the system's designed for, and it, um, you know, leads to bet some bad dynamics. So. Um, so maybe if uh, there'll be like like sort of a, a spin-off community of, of if it flags that you're a premium account, then you know it 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 almost creates a more um, authentic community within the community of people that are prepared to pay or something like that. Well, no, I think it's just that um, obviously the vast majority of people won't pay, so the vast majority of people will be limited in the number of likes they have, and that will cause the the relative value of likes to go up. Ah, okay, because they they'd have to they'd have to think about. Yeah, but it, but is it only limited on likes or unlikes as well? Is it's only limit? It's only. I think it's only likes. Ah, okay. So well, that that unlimited that unlimited unlikes. Ah, okay. Unlimited likes. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Then that that gets rid of that um, Tinderbot mm. sort of like because then people are well, if I've got 10, 10 likes a day, 
I've got to really they've got to really count. That's yeah, interesting. I think so yeah. Okay, yeah. and that's 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 my guess what they're trying to target. But who knows? Maybe they are just trying to make money. <laughs> maybe they maybe it, they don't care. Oh, look, look, no doubt um, <coughs> um, they are. And, you know, dating apps have become, I mean, they've been around for a long time. It's probably one of the first sort of quote-unquote marketplaces. I know it sounds a little bit of a crass way of putting it, but, um, you know, dating apps have been around or websites have been around for a long, long time. Yeah, I think Craigslist probably, that you know, was the big thing for meeting in the early days. Mm. Um, no, they've done well to capture that market as well as they have. Craigslist um, lost connections. Have you ever read it? It's the funniest, especially in cities like no. New York. P- uh, people people write like if they've you know gone to Whole Foods and they saw someone nice and they smiled and had a chat but didn't ask for their email address or number and then they go into Craigslist lost connections and they try to find each other. <laughs> but they're very creative about what they write, these long essays and stories. It's... Um, it's, I think Craigslist just hit 20 years, actually. I saw Craig Newmark, who's the founder of Craigslist. Mm. I think he posted something on Facebook. I didn't read it, but um, I, think it's, I think it's 20 years since yeah. Craig, long Craigslist. Very long time. And it hasn't changed all that much. Mm. Yeah, no, it hasn't, no. I think they <laughs> Very make, similar. I think they make money from some sort of premium listings. I think real, uh, real estate. Uh, and, and um, I mean, we put a job ad there recently. I was experimenting with some job ads in the U.S. for managed flitter and, and um, how to pay. Mm-hmm. I did the good old um, 90210 trick with the credit yeah. card, <laughs> which uh, it always works. <laughs> which it usually does. Yeah. 90% of the time. Most of the time it does, yeah. I was doing um, um, some tax the other day for Canada, and uh, yeah, I had to, I had to use that trick as well because I don't accept U.S. or Canadian credit cards. So, so just, yeah, it's um, then. The 90210, good old postcode that non-Americans know. What else do we have going on in the news? We, we're talking about the, the Pebble watch. Um, now, Pebble is, was probably one of the first smart watches. If not, was it the first smart watch? Yes, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was the very first smart watch to watch. So, so Pebble was a crowd-funded smart watch. Um, and um, it's the, the manufacturers of Pebble... Um, have put a color smartwatch uh, on sale on Kickstarter and because um, the existing pebbles just black and white and they raised in a few hours and I get this for a crowdfunding campaign they raised 5.4 million dollars from 26,000 backers in just a few hours wow that's insane now I'm interested why why the fast I mean I'm amazed the pebbles got such a good backing I've bought a pebble um, I've played with it I quite like it but I don't somehow like it enough to wear it every day um, it doesn't. I like the notifications aspect of it. Mm, it's still, the, you know, it doesn't really change my life. But why? Why is it so popular? I don't know. I mean, it could be. It could be that people are sort of waiting for the Apple Watch, and you know, they haven't had much love. You know, there's no information that's been released for a while. So maybe this is, you know, what people are settling for in the meantime. Um, I don't know. Maybe people have just had really good experiences with the old watch. Um, I think the one thing about this watch is that, like, I watched the video and I actually wanted this one. Like, when I saw the video for the original Pebble Watch and I looked at its interface and it looked a little bit too early for me. Um, but this one actually looks really smooth. It's really slick. Um, that color e-paper display actually looks really, really nice. Like, when you see it moving around, they've done a whole lot of work on the interface to make something that's actually quite unique. Um, and maybe that's what it is. I think their video is just really compelling. 
they've obviously learned a lot about what works on Kickstarter and um, and you know how to build the attention. They've obviously got you know the previous success um, that you know they've actually been able to deliver something already. So people trust that they're going to be able to deliver this product. And they say this product is much further ahead than when they did their original launch for the original Pebble. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably just that people have loads of confidence in them and um, and yeah, want to be part of it. Who's behind Pebble? Do you know? I don't know. I think it was... I don't know what, where they were before that. I think they were just... Yeah, I don't know. Some random people. It's <laughs> random people. <laughs> um, so they've... They, they, they says here on, on this, in this article, the team has shipped more than a million e-paper watches. Wow. Since 2008. So they've been around um, for a little while. Mm. Um, and this one definitely seems a, a lot more compelling than the... I mean, the original Pebble, the one that I've got, doesn't have a microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the, the Samsung watch, you can actually talk on it which is, and take photos, which is pretty cool, although the battery life is terrible. Um, so it can use any standard 22-millimeter um, wristband. It's water-resistant, has three control buttons, a microphone and silent vibrating alarms. It needs to talk to an iOS or newer or Android 4 Plus phone to get messages, email, and other information over the internet, over Bluetooth. Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's obviously a lot of buzz with Apple Watch. Um, It remains to be seen whether these watches are going to remain a toy at this stage, like Google Glass or very niche um, applications, or they'll actually evolve into something really useful. Do you use your Pebble? What do you... Um, I used it a bit. I liked it. I could see the Spotify apps. I liked it for text messages. So mm-hmm. if I sort of, you know, if I'm sitting and I hear a text message come in, I can just look at my watch and I can see where it comes from. I mean, it, 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 who it comes from. It's definitely um, depends on the apps as well. And the apps were quite limited. And I see here they're really going to be pushing getting apps developed on this Pebble. Mm-hmm. Um, the team behind... Um, the Gizmo are promising to release software development kits so people can scribble some code for the gadgets. Plus, there's a hardware port to plug in sensors and other electronics. So that's where it could become interesting. I mean, if mm. you can plug in all sorts of bits and pieces, you could have you know, Square plugging into your watch and accepting payments on your watch or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. No, they're definitely making it a bit more of a platform. Um, are you, are you going to buy the Apple Watch? Look, I mean, it's expensive. I don't have an iPhone, so I mean, right, maybe yeah. we'll get. I mean, Chelsea's got the the big iPhone, and we, you know, we always like to have a diversity of devices in the office, so we can test things and see what's latest and greatest. Um, maybe we'll. Maybe we, I don't think she'd want an iWatch, uh, a watch, mm. um, but um, maybe you know, I'd I'd like to see it. Somebody in the office has to have one. I think so. <laughs> I think we need to get one, particularly from the app side of things. I'd be really interested yeah. to see who you know what apps get developed. Interesting. You might have read that they they they're having like a ten thousand dollar you know gold plated version or something oh, really? ridiculous no i didn't didn't realize no and a lot of people say oh yeah you know apple whatever but i think what they're doing is they just anchoring the pricing so that the so that the 400 dollar 600 dollar watch seems quite cheap compared to the 10,000 dollar watch yeah it's true it's true yeah no i think the price point is probably a little bit too high for for what it is um at this stage i mean it, i guess it just depends how you know how successful it is and you know how, how, how great of a product it is I and mean, if it is if you know it comes out it's kind of got mediocre reviews and people don't you know um you know incorporate it into their life then it's then it's you know and it just kind of gets left on the bedside table or whatever then it's going to be re- really overpriced but um if it becomes like a core companion then then you know it's 
underpriced in some ways. So. Absolutely. Look, I think it a lot depends on the apps and if the sensors are good and work well and people write interesting apps around those sensors, it could be almost like another iPhone because that's what happened when the iPhone came around. You know, all these apps that were using the accelerometer and the GPS and this and that, it just exploded into all these different use cases being solved. So if the Apple Watch, um, you know, can replicate that. I mean, they're apparently still having problems with the battery life. That's why it's been delayed. And apparently mm. that's the single problem that they're having is the battery right. life because yeah. it's, it's ready to go. Mm. Um, so um, anyway, that's uh, the Apple Watch and that's Pebble. Um, I, I'll probably buy a Pebble as well. Um, let's see how much uh, you can still order one for $179. So pretty reasonably priced. You can buy... Um, 10 for 1, So, yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably get the Pebble as well just to... I do, I do wish my frustration with the existing Pebble that there are more apps. So hopefully there'll be, there'll be more apps on, um, apps on that phone. Anyway, that's Pebble. That's Tinder. As usual, we put um, the show notes up on itsamonkey.com. Please tweet us at monkeypodcast. You can subscribe. Um, We've got quite a nice, uh, you know, a lot of people subscribe to get notifications when the podcast is published. Go to itsamonkey.com, pop in your email address. We're publishing at the moment every two weeks or so. Um, you can email us at uh, podcast at itsamonkey.com. Please subscribe on iTunes. Um, and um, we're going to take a short break. And after the break, we are going to be talking um, more about Apple. We're going to be talking to Juan Pablo Vasquez Sampera um, at uh, university. He's an academic in Madrid, I believe. I'll get his title amongst my show notes over here. Um, as we talk amongst ourselves on the dead air... So, um, Juan Pablo is a professor of business administration at IE Business School in Madrid. So, we're going to take a short break and come back to that interview. I do apologize for the sound quality. We were having a couple of issues. So, um, just bear with the sound quality, but it is an interesting interview. So, bear on through it. Thank you. We'll be back shortly. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Check Dog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. It's episode 56. And, of course, we talk a lot about um, Apple on the show. Now, um, I, I'm relatively late in the game to Apple. I've got, got a MacBook Air. Um, I, I've never had an iPhone. I'm, I'm an Android person. But I've been really interested to follow Apple from a sort of a, um, an entrepreneurial point of view and uh, from a financial point of view. Um, they're a fascinating company and have become increasingly fascinating. Their uh, market cap is about $700 billion. They're on track to become probably the first trillion-dollar company. 
Their latest earnings results were fantastic. They're one of the biggest corporate profits in history, and I believe um, you know one of the only companies in the top 10 of, of corporate profits that are not an oil company. So really interesting things going on with Apple. But I was very interested to read an article a couple of weeks ago, or even less, in the Harvard Business Review, which is a fantastic publication. And the title um, of the article is, We Shouldn't Be Dazzled by Apple's Earnings Report. And it's a really interesting article that teases apart uh, things like... Um, you know, innovation and entrepreneurship and, and what's exactly going on with Apple. And I tracked down the author of the article, who's Juan Pablo Vasquez Sampera, who's a professor of business administration at IE Business School in Madrid, Spain. And uh, we haven't had anyone from Spain yet on the podcast, Juan Pablo. So a very special welcome to you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hello. So, uh, Juan Pablo, just just um, uh, sort of distill the main thesis um, of of what you, of what you were saying here, because obviously people um, that don't have familiarity see these huge earnings and they see this huge market cap, and you've provided an interesting analysis of um, some of some of the dynamics of what's what's happening currently. Yeah, and well, the, the main thrust of the piece, you know, what at heart I wanted to, to say is that Apple, you know, uh, the corporate strategy, what they do at heart is to change the lives of people throughout their products. They build very smart products that have a very intelligent ecosystem that is actually in many ways, and we can talk about that a little later, disruptive to other industries, not their own industries, but other industries, okay? And, uh, and, and the result of this uh, strategy is actually that they make a ton of money, right? So it's first that, you know, they, they have this ecosystem of products that are disruptive to other industries that are so successful that they make a ton of money. Now, what bothered me about, about the, the recent results and how they were communicated was that this order seemed to have switched quite significantly. Now it turns out that it's no longer about you know, improving the product ecosystem and making significant inroads into other industries, but just about publicizing their earnings. It's a classical mechanism in disruptive innovation that actually we know how it plays out. And that's why you know, I was bothering in the first place, because first of all, you know, they changed the order. You know, it's no longer about improving the ecosystem by making significantly disruptive inroads to other industries and as a result making money, but instead is making money in the first place and on top of that engaging you know, and turning on this very dangerous mechanism you know, that, uh, that uh, we can talk about it. With, with, yeah. That was the, the heart of it. So you feel it's significant that um, in Apple's earnings announcements, they talk more about all the earnings that they make as opposed to the disruption that, that, uh, that they are creating. Exactly. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the, the, it, the way that these earnings were communicated, you know, were more like oriented to saying, you know, sending this message like, uh, we are back, you know, the old Apple is back. And here is the, you know, the, the tons of money that we've made this quarter. Okay. And, uh, and you know, the, the, the previous Apple, what I like to call the old Apple, if I may, it was rather different than that, you know, different from that. It was more like, you know, we are back and here is our new 
improvement into our product ecosystem. It may be an improvement in one of the products or a new product or something like that, you know. But it, it was completely different, you know. It, it was not we are back, it was more like we are back because of the money, you know, and that was a significant different thing. Uh, I mean, do you think it's significant that it's a, it's a Tim Cook Apple, you know, as opposed to a Steve Jobs Apple, where Steve Jobs, you know, at the heart, he was very much a, a, a product guy, very much a, a design guy, I was, uh, you know, and that, that, that came through everywhere. I was a very... Uh, um, you know, he, he was a very um, tough leader in many ways. Do you think Tim Cook, you know, the different DNA, the more corporate DNA is, is starting to trickle through? Well, that might be an explanation, yeah. Uh, I also think that uh, besides the type of personality of the individuals, that for, for sure might be a factor, uh, uh, there was perhaps some sort of uh, lack of understanding of what at heart was the company about, you know, between the management team. Right? And, uh, and once the main leader that was constantly reminding people what was the company about, um, you know, once he's no longer there, unfortunately, I must add, um, you know, it, it seems like uh, many things that before would not have been, if I may say, allowed or, you know, or tolerated or, you know, permitted or something are now, you know, passing through the ranks, you know, and, uh, and that kind of shows in the way they are actually confronting other growth alternatives these days. Okay, well, let, let's, let's talk about some of these well-known, um, you know, cycles of, of innovation and disruption. And, and, I mean, because one thing we can't run away from is that Apple are making big earnings. So, you know, whether they... The, the philosophical discussion of whether you know how much they they disrupting or innovating at that at, on on the sort of purest capitalist sense you know their earnings are are proving that they're adding value somewhere along the line but where do you see as um, this disruptive innovation that they that they that they falling into a cycle that may not end well just talk us through a little bit of that okay yeah and actually I not I cannot only talk about that I can also explain why. They are making so much money at this time, a particular time in history. Right. See, in disruptive innovation, we have a mechanism, a very well-known mechanism that we call fight versus flight. You know, uh, the mechanism plays out in the following way. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, once the company is being disrupted, you know, disruption that comes from the low end and is slowly but relentlessly moving up market, incumbents, you know, see what's going on. They look around and they see how the technology that this disruptor is, being, is using can also be used for their own most profitable customers. Okay, and uh, and actually one of these particular characteristics of this technology, I can give you a couple of examples, is that you know incumbents are actually very very good at implementing technologies. I mean they have a very long history of implementing technologies. Just a couple of examples, for example. Uh, universities now are implementing blended programs, you know, where one part of the course or a significant portion of the course is done through the internet. And, and they actually are using the same technology as pure players, as universities that are, you know, only doing courses online. Okay? Airlines, for example, have also adopted online reservation systems that, you know, was the technology introduced by disruptors, you know, in, in the reservation online. Uh, 
The problem with this mechanism is that when incumbents use a technology to serve better their own customers, a particular tricky thing situation turns on, which the think about the mechanism of the incumbent. What they do is they stop serving their least profitable customers because those ones are taking over, you know, slowly and relentlessly from the low end. Uh, and, in, you know, and all this money is used to, to serve even better their own most profitable customers. Right. Okay? And that makes it a very, very smart move, you know, makes it a very profitable move in a sense that, um, you know, the company makes even more money because now, you know, they not only don't invest in the low-end customers from their own portfolio, but also use new technologies, more attractive technologies to monetize even better their own preferred customers. So in this mechanism of disruption, okay, the more the disruptor takes over from the low end, the more money, okay, the more profitable is the incumbent, okay, up to a point where there is no more things to add to their more profitable customers, and then, you know, something quite dramatic ends up happening. And there are plenty of examples in history about companies that have been taking over uh, uh, from from disruptive companies, perhaps one of the most notorious ones is uh, Bethlehem Steel. You know, in the U.S., when they were slowly and relentlessly taking being taken over by you know by by, by mini mills, you know, steel plants that used a different technology that was completely understood by Bethlehem Steel, and and you know, at the end they ended up taking over the entire market. Now, the important point here to remember is that. The last 15 years of Bethlehem Steel were unbelievably profitable in terms of revenue, income, and share price. Okay. The company was not being disrupted in a way that they, you know, they felt it negatively into their bank account or, or their profitability. But instead, you know, it seemed that they were doing the right thing. Okay. And that's pretty much the mechanism that we see here with the screen size, you know, and uh, and 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 and, uh, and the iPhone six and what's going on with the profitability of the company at the moment. So, if I'm correct in in understanding that it's um, they become very good at extracting um, more money out of their existing customer base, essentially. Exactly. And yeah. um, I mean, is this is this sort of what happened to Nokia where Nokia would, you, you know, people would land up buying a new Nokia every year or so and, and Nokia owned the market and, and in, in a sense, they really did stop innovating. I mean, the, the Nokia stayed the same for, for quite a few years and then by the time, you know, the iPhone came, you know, it was just, it was just too late and they, were, and they were just knocked out of the water and they literally went from being, a, you know, one of the biggest... Um, you know, companies in the world to being worth absolutely nothing and almost just you, you know being bought by Microsoft for nothing. Is it, is it a similar situation? It's a little different. It was a different type of disruptive innovation. In disruptive innovation, there are three main types. Okay, and uh, and uh, you know the, the one that I'm describing is a very well known pattern. You know that, that's low end disruption. Uh, Nokia is another type of, of disruption that's. It, it doesn't engage, the mechanism of fight versus flight is not as engaged as in this case, but there are other mechanisms that also make the company make sense of not investing and not doing these sorts of things. You know? So what, uh, I mean, if Apple would uh, you know, come to you and say, well, okay, fair enough, we acknowledge that uh, we're extracting 
we're your, we like your analysis and it seems like there's merit in it. Um, how do you, you know, how do you use, use an analysis? What, what, what would you change in Apple? I mean, it's almost like, um, you know, they, they, their margins are high. It's working for them. They're making profits. Do you need to embed innovation? Do you need to internally split up the company? Do you, what, how can you actually counteract this? Okay, the first thing I would say, and this is perhaps the most important thing, is that this is the moment to change things. Okay, is when things are going well and you, you, know, you, are, you have a huge cash flow and you can make decisions when you can actually engage in this sort of transformational change. It's not five years down the road when pressure from shareholders, you know, debilitating cash flow accounts and many other social pressures and factors are going to prevent you from changing. So that will be the first thing. First thing is, you know, the moment of, you know, now that things still look very, very good, this is the moment to engage in transformational change. Okay? That will be the first thing. The second thing I would be, would be to line up a new set of product ecosystems, okay, same as the ones that the company has been famous uh, for before, okay, and uh, and I think that they are trying to do that. I think probably this is part of the legacy from you know from Steve Jobs, and I don't really know if they are going to be able to deploy them in the way that was as effective as it, as it was being done before in the old Apple, but. I mean, for me, you know, going back to your roots will be, you know, going back to launching these ecosystems that, uh, in at heart, transform the life of, of people and companies, and uh, uh, and and, uh, and do it now. You know, they, this is the moment. Not, you know, not in in a few years when, you know, things will get, can get much more complicated. But it's almost like they got so much cash. I mean, they're sitting on what 170, 180 billion dollars cash. It's almost like their runway is so big and their scale is so big that it's um you know there's a lot of buffer there's a lot of buffer there to do the wrong thing and just to just to you know slowly burn out over 50 years almost well you think so because for example look at ford general motors uh, all the tire manufacturers from akron ohio in you know in the in the late 1950s i mean those companies have also you know, at their time, they had also bought loads of money. They were unbelievably wealthy with these tremendous cash flows. And, you know, cash flow is, is, is you know, is, is something that is very hard to obtain, but also is fairly quickly to, to go, you know, once things start not doing very well. So I, I wouldn't think that cash flow is a cushion. And actually, I don't think that Apple thinks that cash flow is a cushion because if you look at their latest movements in terms of looking for Increased, increasing their debt and all, you know, and all these financial movements, you see that they, you know, they see cash flow as you know the money to you know the the counting score to play the game rather than you know than as a result or a cushion for the future. They they claim, um, I mean, they claim they they're raising money because they don't want to bring the cash which is offshore uh, because it's going to be taxed. That's why they claim that they're going to they're yep, raising they the money. They raise part of the money offshore too. I oh, did they interesting, and and um, and I mean, what about acquisitions? I mean, a- Apple don't seem to make a lot of acquisitions. Are acquisitions not another route to just you know 
buying innovation, buying these small companies that are disrupting. Facebook's doing a fantastic job at the right uh, um, acquisitions. Google has had some terrific success with acquisitions like YouTube, which is now a big money spinner for them. Yeah, I mean, and I think perhaps the company is going, well, I, I think traditionally Apple has been fairly good at acquisitions, actually. Um, not perhaps as publicly as many other companies, but they, they have. And uh, perhaps they engage in this sort of, 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 uh, of growth strategy in the future too. And, and, and that will be new for, for us in general, especially if they do it at the level that we suppose that they're going to be doing it, which is like buying, rather than buying significant technologies or new things that they can embed into their ecosystem, uh, uh, buying final products. For example, now that we have this rumor about Tesla, that may perhaps they buy Tesla or mm. not. What, what do you think about the um, what do you think about the Apple car that was um, sort of came out of the blue and sort of surprised a lot of people it's uh, never been referred to before as far as I'm aware okay I, I would separate this between you know two two main things one is the communication plan that you deploy throughout the year to maintain you know expectations and share price okay I think Apple does a fair share of that and you know, it's a, quite an increase from the previous old Apple era, if I may say so. Um, we have this, you know, I, I call it the watch out, we are coming sort of message, which is something like we are thinking about going into the car industry. We are thinking about going into such and such industries. You know, at heart, what they, they're trying to communicate is something like uh, uh, you should, you know, uh, be uh, uh, bullish on us because uh, you know at some point we might take over this industry same as we did in the past okay uh, and that that's a sort of a communication plan um, the acquisition of Tesla and you know I, at, the, at this moment is just a conjecture I don't know if they are gonna buy Tesla or not you know? uh, but um, for me what's important there is that it will be a completely different thing from what they've done before because before you know, they used to buy companies for their technology to include that technology into their own product ecosystem, okay? And in the case of Tesla, this will be an acquisition of a final product that is already in the market, and they will add their own technology to the product rather than the other way around, which is what they've done. Interesting. Well, um, time, time, will certainly, time will certainly tell. Um, Juan Pablo, what... Um, um, do you think of the Apple share price um, buy or sell or at its current at its current level because it's had a really good run over the last year yeah and uh, if uh, um, well I, I first of all I'm not really very good at predictions especially about the future you know <laughs> that, that's what I don't know I don't know who is but we are very good at predicting the past oh, yeah <laughs> now uh, I, what I would say is a uh, uh, Look at the mechanism of fight versus flight. If their next feature that they plan to introduce next year with the, you know, probably revised version of the iPhone 6, you know, that may be called iPhone 6S or something like that. If the revised version includes another feature that is from within the industry, same as the screen size in this, this year, for example, or last year, okay, uh, I would say you still buy the stock, okay, for at least one, two years more because you know, when you're engaging in fight versus flight, okay, the, the incumbents make a, a, you know, a lot of money and share price continues to increase quite
quite significantly throughout the entire mechanism, okay, throughout the entire period of time. I would not be bullish on the company if they do that uh, uh, for the long term, okay, for say three, four, five years, okay. Uh, but I would certainly be bullish in the short term because um, copying a, a, a feature, a product uh, characteristic from the disruptors and embedding it into your own ecosystem to serve better your more you know your own more profitable customers is a very profitable short-term strategy and um, and, uh, and and that will be you know uh, reflected in the share price if on the other hand uh, you see them uh, adding new things into the iPhone 6 that are from outside of the industry I'm talking about uh, an app for the health industry or whatever you know things that or a special device that or an add-on to the phone that lets you track your own health uh, uh, and stats, for example, or something like that, and not really related to, to health, but an additional thing, then uh, I would be more optimistic for the long term, okay? Then that, because that would be, you know, an addition that improves the ecosystem rather than a way to monetize quickly, you know, technology that is introduced by the low-end competitors. Interesting. Well, um, certainly, certainly a company that we we're going to be watching. Then the numbers are fun to talk about. In any case, a trillion dollar company. Do you think it's going to hit the trillion dollar? Uh, well, <laughs> I certainly don't know. It looks like they they would, and it will be a very nice record uh, for the company. Actually, I mean, if if I I would hope so is the right answer for me. But you know, I I certainly don't know if they can do that. Juan Pablo Vasquez Sampera from uh, Madrid all the way in Spain. Really appreciate you talking to us um, on the podcast. Or we'll certainly watch Apple with, with interest and um, maybe we can, we can chew the fat on, um, on Apple again in the future and we'll see if all our, our predictions we're all scared to make but like making in any case. We'll see, we'll see if any of them come to fruition. Yeah, I mean, I'll be delighted to do that actually. Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate your time on the podcast. Thanks so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. Manage Flitter helps you to work smarter and faster on Twitter. With Manage Flitter, you can schedule tweets for appropriate times, gain insight into your Twitter connections, grow your Twitter account, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com for a free trial. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast. Kevin Garber is my name. Episode number 56, special edition with James Peter, final edition as CTO and uh, active co-founder of Managed Flitter. He's off to, to, well, he actually doesn't know where he's off to physically. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Could be anywhere at this stage. Could be anywhere. Um, you should go to Costa Rica or Nicaragua, mm. Buenos Aires or, you know. Maybe, maybe Antarctica. <laughs> That's a little bit extreme. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, yeah, James. Um, firstly, thank you very much for um, listening to that interview. I know uh, that the sound quality. If you listen to that interview, that sound quality did have a couple of issues. James, some interesting points about Apple just basically not being innovative and making easy money essentially from its existing client base. Yeah, no, it's it's a very interesting point of view. Um, I mean, it, to to look at sort of Apple as becoming you know a more mature product and um, and focusing more on on yeah, just just you know scraping the money out of their um, their existing consumers, um, the exi- yeah, the existing customers. 
Um, I mean, it definitely makes sense. I mean, you can definitely see that as being a trend for a lot of large technology companies. You know, it's the way they go. You know, initially they're disruptive and they're, you know, innovative and then they build their audience and then, then they make money off that, um, you know, that, that dedicated customer base. Um, so it certainly makes sense from that point of view. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just Apple's kind of, you know, in the middle of a, a down down period in terms of innovation or maybe they're doing other stuff behind the scenes and nothing's really panned out yet. So, um, you know, we, we may be be seeing some more interesting stuff from them in the near future. The innovation might also be, um, you know, on a level that we don't really see, you know. For sure, yeah. There, there could be supply, supply yeah. chain innovation. There could be, you know, components innovation, battery technology innovation. Yeah, no, that's a good point. No, I'm sure I'm sure that's definitely the case. That's probably where they've done an awful lot of, um, you know, put an awful lot of effort into sort of making that stuff, you know, function really well and uh, making it cost effective and increasing their profits. So, yeah, for sure, I mean, that's, I'm sure that's where they're putting um, a lot of their work into. Um, but, you know, that I mean, there is, there is obviously innovation coming out. I mean, it's hard to argue that the Apple Watch isn't innovative. I mean, it's definitely, you know... Um, you know, while the space isn't something that Apple has built themselves, it's definitely, um, you know, neither was, you know, theoretically the, the smartphone either. You know, they, they did exist before Apple. They would just look, you know, completely different. It was just that Apple's approach was, you know, so much better than the existing stuff out there that it, it almost became a category unto itself. I was checking emails on my Siemens SL45 mm. before the iPhone existed. Yeah, no, I mean, and all all of the all of the features of an iPhone, all were, you know, that existed. There was nothing really that was new in an iPhone. It was just the way it was packaged, and it was just and of course that, and of course the operating system. Way. Yeah, it was the operating system, yeah. and, and and you know, from what I've seen so far of the the Apple Watch, I think you know that operating system is its key feature. Like, I think it is very unique. It looks like it's you know, something that's never been done before and designed specifically for that type of uh, interface. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's still, you know, there's all these kind of products that's, uh, you know, until they hit market, you never know what they're going to, gonna you know, um, how they're going to be received. But, um, you know, to me, that that looks like it could be the next stage of uh, innovation for Apple is, is, you know, these wearable devices and this new interface metaphor. So, yeah. But... You know, at the same time, it is a very small screen and, and, you know... Well, it's true. But, I mean, if you look at the innovation they did in terms of the interface for the iPhone and then they've rolled that innovation back into their other Apple products, they've rolled it back into OS X, um, you know, because it works so well and arguably, you know, Android has now moved towards, you know, what um, the kind of interface metaphors that, um, that you know, Apple pioneered and o- over time because it just turned out to be the best kind of solution. Um, so... And this this interface for the like the zooming in with a like mm. scrolly wheel. I mean, that's just as far as I know, that's never been done before. I mean, theoretically, you know, this thing obviously is best suited to a watch, but there could be a whole bunch of other, mm. you know, devices and interactions of this kind of, um, uh, yeah, this kind of uh, UX metaphor that o- opens up. So it could you know, you know, make it much easier for other wearables and this you know Internet of Things to open up if there's some better way for us to interact with them that doesn't rely on having such large interfaces. So. Um, yeah, I mean, from that sense, it could definitely be the beginning of a, a new era. Um, or it could just flop, you know. <laughs> <It's very laughs> but that's the game we're in, you know. Sure. That's that's the game we're in. The beautiful thing is no one knows. You know, when you're doing new things, no one knows. I mean, you look at a slightly different industry, but Larry David, who's one of the co-founders of, um, sort of co-creators of Seinfeld, when he created his comedy series Curb Your Enthusiasm, which has been a huge hit, and he, w- I was watching an interview with him, and he said, you know, when we f- 
created Kirby Enthusiasm. We had absolute, and this was already after they'd had massive success with Seinfeld. And he said, we had absolutely no idea how this was going to go. You know, it, it, so when you're doing new things, we, part of the joy and the frustration is we don't know what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, very, um, very exciting to see the the iWatch and and um, what happens. And uh, Apple, of course, is on track to becoming the first trillion dollar company. I think they last mm, time I checked, they were crazy. about seven hundred billion dollars. <coughs> um, would you? Are you bullish on their stock? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think I would. I think I would buy. Cashed out of your Bitcoin, James? Uh, cash actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. I had actually, um, I was actually looking at my Bitcoin the other day, and I think when I purchased it, it was worth about $400. And now I've got all of, um, I think it's like $13 or something. So I did I did spend a little bit of it on something, and then, sorry, but I think it's, it's definitely half of half of the value that's gone is definitely from just the value of bitcoin dropping because i kind of diversified right into various other cryptocurrencies and 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 none of them have done particularly well at least not compared to bitcoin so um that that was definitely a downfall as well so my portfolio is not very large <laughs> shall we say <laughs> bitcoin i'm definitely thinking of can well I can leave that thirteen dollars in Bitcoin. I think it's going to make me rich. Yeah, you, you never know; it might come might come roaring back. Yeah, and, that thirteen dollars could be worth millions. Yeah. <laughs> Still an interesting technology. I mean, Mark Andreessen, who I talk about a lot on this podcast because I love following him on Twitter, and he's always making interesting comments. He said, "Look, you know, how many people thought that TCP/IP was an exciting technology in 1990? Mm. You know, uh, pretty boring technology. Not much happening on it, and." Um, you know, it's a backbone of the internet. You know, the underlying protocol of the internet. So he, you know, he's a big pundit for Bitcoin and and saying that the exciting things are going to happen. But it's 1990 equivalent TCP/IP as the Bitcoin, the platform, not so much the currency side of things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's still still very early days, and it's still you know all up in the air. So. Maybe you'll uh, do some sort of Bitcoin startup, James. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> bit too risky even for me. <laughs> it is risky. Anyway, um, this is episode number 56. We'll probably be hearing from James on some of the podcasts somewhere along the line. Um, when it reaches a billion, when his new startup reaches a billion dollar valuation. We'll, uh, can, can you give us an, when it reaches a billion dollar valuation, can you give us an exclusive Sure, you, you, monk, the Monkey Podcast can get the exclusive on the billion dollar valuation. Okay, you've, <laughs> you, dear listener, you're listening, you've got it on record here. When, when James's new startup hits a billion dollar valuation, an exclusive, right? No TechCrunch, no freaking Mashable. It's like... Also, if, I, if I'm ever bankrupt and homeless living on the street, you get the exclusive <laughs> of that as well. So. <laughs> Both ways. That is, that is funny. Well, you know, you know what we should do, James? And I'm happy to discuss this on the podcast. We'll... You know, one of my friends who listens to the podcast, he's um, like many people, he's a, he's a frustrated startup guy. He'd like to start his startup, but it's, you know, the realities of it is hard. And uh, he's always says, you guys should share more about your startup story. So maybe what we can do is every now and then we can check in with you. Sure. Yeah, no, that'd be good. Definitely and you can, and, and we can, you know, you can, you can provide a little bit of insight into the highs and lows because there are highs and lows and your learnings as well because um you know most of you don't know james just from but only from the podcast and is um um, an exceptionally good startup um you know hacker so in the in 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 the in the um 
in the peaceful sense of the word hacker. <laughs> so um, definitely some really good insights. So James, um, you know, we, we wish you all the best, I'm sure from the listeners as well. If you want to tweet James, at Z-E-M-A-G, you can tweet James, James stay in touch with him, um, follow, his, follow his progress and... Um, and yeah, we'll see how quick you can get to. How, how long did it take Uber to get to a billion dollars? Just mm. you know, <laughs> two years or wasn't so. Wasn't very long, yeah. No. Um, Aim for six months, yeah. Six months. No, so it's, it's been great. It's been really great. Um, you know, working with you and doing all these podcasts. It's been a really great time. So couldn't have asked for a, a better six years. So, so that's, no, really that's good. good. So we'll we'll. Um, We'll have you back somewhere along the line. Anyway, um, remember to go to itsamonkey.com, listen to some of the previous podcasts. This is episode 56. We'll be back in two weeks with episode 57. Um, have a good one wherever you are. See ya.